Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is part two with Dr. Gareth Davies. If you've not listened to part one, make sure you go and do so. Steve, you look like you're ready to say something. <laughs> Mate, no, I was just, I did a little bit of homework last night mm-hmm. on, on Gareth and I, I watched um, a TV program and I must say there's a few more grey hairs now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was a few definitely. years ago. Yeah, yeah, it but was. Just, but just off the back of that, um, <laughs> what was a day in your life then? Um, it, it was quite extraordinary, actually, um, because, you know, coming from the Isle of Man and, and training in medicine and then ending up in London and then suddenly being followed by TV cameras um, following what you were doing just was quite surreal at the time. Um, so, sorry, d- Doctor, what, what, uh, what TV series was this? This one was the very original, um, 999. Um, um, I can't remember who the guy was now that uh, did it. James Burke? Ma- uh, um, Michael Burke. Michael Burke. Michael Burke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the 999 series and uh, they followed us. So it, it was very intense because, you know, when you were on call for London, you're basically on call for 10 million people. And the only thing you're going to be tasked to are people who are dying. And that could range from... Um, someone who's fallen off a building, someone who's been stabbed in the chest, kid that's been run over by a bus on the way to school, all the way up to a train crash like Paddington Rail disaster. And you you never knew until you got in the helicopter. So you the bell would go, you'd run to the helicopter, you'd put your helmet on, you'd buckle in, and then the co-pilot would hand you a piece of paper uh, back to us, and then that's, you, you knew what you were dealing with. Um, yeah. And that was it. So you you didn't have that much time to get worried about stuff. Um, underground fire. We, we no. I, the, the, there was a big uh, King's Cross uh, uh, underground fire was just before I started. But actually, when probably the biggest event that we dealt with was the seven seven bombings. Um, that was you know that was one of the bigger events uh, that we had to to deal with because there were it wasn't just one incident there were four bomb sites yeah uh with all of that were you on the scene Um, for that then yeah yeah wow um so it it um uh you really didn't know what you were uh, going to and the flight times are all short you know they were all like four or five minutes before you were uh, deposited so just rewinding back to part one when chris asked you uh, or spoke to you, yeah. you know, we always, or Chris always asks actually about the tap on the shoulder at the start of a TT race. Is it the same kind of, not that, you, not that you've started a TT race, but <laughs> there are a certain amount of nerves because you you don't know what's coming, you don't know what you're about to walk into? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's absolutely uh, the case that, um, you know, you can have big and small events at the, the, the TT. You don't know quite what it's going to be where it's going to be you know I, I don't think you'd be human if you were there wasn't a bit of apprehension about it because you like everyone else you're only as good as your last job you know you might have coped with seven seven but there was another event down the line so you, you're always under a degree of pressure to to perform and um you know certainly now things are more complex that we've got three helicopters up to three response cars you know, the pressure is to make sure that every one of those assets are delivering in a way uh, that they should do. So there's a sort of wider pressure. So let's fast forward that now. Um, it's TT22, senior day. What's, what's 
your day in life, senior day? Um, I think, well, like a lot How of people. How early does it start? Yeah, well, it, they all start depressingly early nowadays. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a long old day, a race day. Um, but it, I think like a lot of people involved with the racing, it starts a lot earlier than people think. It isn't just when roads close. So certainly for the medical team, we start to gather about two hours before roads close. And we will use that time um, to check the helicopters, check the medical equipment. We will start to do simulations. So, How many is in this team? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's probably about between 40 and 50 um, doctors, wow. paramedics, technicians, nurses. You know, it's a big team now, and they're all volunteers. They come from all over the UK, uh, from all over the world. And they, they, you know, they volunteer. It's very, very special to lead it. We're really proud that, you know, they all volunteer. Um, and they're all producing a standard of care that is as good as anywhere else in the world, as good as people get if they're hit by a tube in London or shot in shock trauma in Baltimore. Um, the provision of care at the TT, which I think is probably, I suppose I'm bound to say this, as good or probably the best in the world yeah. compared to any other motorsport event um, because actually the, the pre-hospital care that's delivered in the UK uh, air ambulance system from which the TT and the Mouse Grand Prix were born um, I think is recognised as the best in the world so um, you know it's a very high performing team so we you know, we we do a lot of simulations before the roads are even closed. So if you went up to the hospital and you'll see plastic mannequins, you know, scattered all over the field where the helicopters are, you know, impaled on, on road signs and stuff like this, you know, because we're practicing for the worst case yeah. scenario. You probably don't want to hear about it, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's going on in the, in the hours. And then we move into briefing and we we debrief cases from the previous day and uh, try and establish any learning from it that we can transfer back uh, to, to Gary and the, uh, the clerk of the course if there's anything that we've learned that might prevent something happening again. Um, and then we have a, a big briefing where uh, the, the um, you know, with the aviation team, they give us uh, a brief on the, the weather and stuff like that. And then we run through any alterations to equipment. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty complex. So like at a briefing meeting, there will be upwards just of that group, about 30 people uh, who are covering the helicopters, cars and ambulances that will move patients uh, from the helipad into the hospital. Um, so, uh, uh, and of course your head is always full of, you know, uh, have we replaced the kit that was used uh, yeah. at the, the crash the previous uh, evening? Is is there, you know, has anyone called in sick for any reason? So the, there's all those logistical problems to, uh, to sort out. This is all This is, yeah, yeah. So yeah. There are two places, I believe, where you land and wait. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no it's 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 incredible um, the service provision now. From one helicopter a few years ago, we now uh, are operating two helicopters for the riders, and one will be positioned up at Alpine, one will be positioned uh, at Keppel, and then we will actually have two uh, response cars that will cover the area from say Hilbury to um, Balagheri. Um, 
well, maybe Union Mills because it's actually quite difficult for the helicopters to land in that those areas. So we have response cars that have exactly the same equipment and sort of people that are to in the helicopters. Yeah. So uh, you know, our, our primary aim is to is to get to a patient side as as quickly as possible. And I think uh, you know that's what's unique about the healthcare here is that. It is literally me measured in uh, seconds and minutes uh, uh, to get to a, a, a wounded patient. And actually, that's where the healing begins because, you know, the staff that are there are fully trained in everything that we do in an emergency department. So if the patient needs to be put to sleep and have an anesthetic, they get that. If they need surgery, they get that. Um, and that's, you know, literally within minutes. So we're not just moving people around, they're starting that healing process um, as quickly as possible. So, so how does it work? Obviously, you have Gary Thompson and uh, he was here yeah. uh, as a guest a while ago um, yeah, yeah. and his team, 18 people up in the tower. Do they scramble you? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, there's a system whereby every uh, part of the course has a, a, a radio uh, operator. And if there is an incident, uh, at a particular corner, there's a button that will be pressed and that will clear all the other radios and give free speech to that person that's seen something. And Gary and his team will know where that radio is, which sector it is, and they'll be listening in for any radio transmissions. And um, uh, pretty quickly, they'll establish um, a, a rider is down. Um, and it's at that point we will think about activating um, the medical response. So we don't always, you know, because we don't get going straight away because people can sit on those buttons. They can, you know, yeah, they're in error. The people, it is important to establish all the facts what's, or as many facts as possible. So um, the marshals are trained to give uh, a brief medical report and then it's one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Griff Evans, one of the other chief medical officers who's in the control room and he'll make a judgment based on what they say and which corner it is, whether he will uh, bring some of the medical assets to alert. So for the cars, he'll start asking us to make our way to a certain uh, access point to the circuit. If it's the if it's the helicopters, they'll bring one of those to standby. And that means that we will run to the helicopter, we'll buckle in, we'll put our helmets on, flash up the electrics and get ready to, to start uh, start the engines because there's a bit of a, a cycle time to get going. Usually in that process, it becomes clear whether it's a go or not. And um, then we're asked to launch to where, wherever the incident is. Um, and that, uh, you know, usually we're uh, an airborne uh, within a, a minute or so. Um, so it's pretty quick getting wow. to the patient side. And the far end, it always amazes me. Uh, but who actually identifies where to land? Is there somebody to guide you down? So, yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. We, we've got literally dozens, dozens upon dozens of nominated landing sites that we've created. Pre-arranged oh, sites. Pre-arranged sites yeah. that, uh, over the years. Um, and some of them are more manicured than others. <laughs> um, but inevitably, it's the captain's decision uh, where when he lands and, and where he lands. Um, but it's a team effort to identify where the rider is because, you know, there are bits of the track that are underneath the trees up in the north or... Um, on the west of the island. So you know roughly where you're going, but 
um, sometimes it's not immediately obvious. So we try and do a high recce um, and then join join the track where we can see yellow flags. And, and sometimes we can't see the incident because they're in the trees or, or, yeah. or something of that nature. But ultimately, it's the captain's decision, but it, it's really important that the, the flight crew in the back are looking out for obstacles. The, there aren't wires or trees that we're landing on. You know, there's the ever-present threat of drones nowadays. Um, we've got the other helicopters uh, flying around, um, the, the media helicopters. So it's, although there's an exclu air exclusion zone around the TT, it's a very busy place when it comes to mm. helicopters and, and what have you. So it's really important that the team are vigilant when they're uh, taking off and landing, that there's so, no conflict. Yeah, my side is not my side, but my job now is obviously TV. There's two two helicopters. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is are they are they dispersed away immediately? As as it's a so they, yeah, I mean they will, um, uh, as you probably know, actually have a role at an incident now. That if there is a, a big incident, actually there's a lot of intelligence that can be born from those helicopters that can be fed into the control room, which can make sure that the right number of medical assets are, are deployed to the to the scene. So those aircraft can be used for those purposes. Um, we're very lucky that, um, you know, our aviation team uh, has a lot of dialogue with the air operator in those aircraft. So they're constantly communicating with each other in the air. Um, but like everything else, we, everyone needs to make sure they don't get task focused that, you know, yeah. we're just looking for the patient and, and uh, you know, the last thing we need is a collision. So it's it's a complex working environment and it, it needs, you know, real professionalism to, to, to pull it off. So one thing you touched on there, you said previous to previous TTs, mm. there was only one helicopter. Yeah. How has how have you seen the, the the safety at the TT kind of progress throughout the years? Yeah, I mean it, it it's um, uh, without a doubt changed dramatically. The amount of medical resource that is put in now has grown from the one helicopter to two, plus the cars to cover that area uh, around the sort of grandstand and Douglas. Um, but, you know, safety in itself has undergone a, a, a dramatic change. And, and certainly f f for us that are involved heavily in the TT, I mean, COVID didn't bring very much in the way of good things uh, to the world. But actually, it did give us an opportunity to stop and think about the TT and mm -hmm. where, what its place was in, in life and, and the racing calendar. And it did, um, you know, I think Nigel Crennell um, and Paul Phillips and myself um, took a long, hard stare at it all and thought, you know, how can we make this safer? How well, we concluded two things. I think one was that the spectacle of the TT is truly world class. Yeah, and what no our job was to do was make everything else world class around yeah. the TT. The second thing is that we were like just the custodians of it, that, you know, we were, we had a responsibility to make sure that the TT is here for our children and children's mm -hmm. children, that we couldn't just let it drift to a place where it might not exist. Yeah. So that, you know, we did decide that. And actually we felt that safety uh, and our approach to incident and risk was paramount and that we needed a system to to deal with that risk and and hence the, this phrase the the sms the safety management system that came about 
um, was was created. And Nigel Grenell, who's a, a fighter pilot, um, but also has uh, a master's uh, in risk management and uh, aviation type issues. Mm -hmm. And I had a background in that from London, uh, where we, we were operating the helicopter. You can't just land a helicopter at Piccadilly Circus um, or send 10 doctors into a bombing, a terrorist bombing. You, you need a system uh, to, to assess risk and deal with risk to do those things. So actually, we both had a back, background in this stuff to try and create something like that for the TT. And what we were trying to do was make sure that there was where the, we were engineering out all unnecessary risk. You know, uh, mm -hmm. and that actually there is a residual risk in, in racing motorcycles, whether it's uh, on a road circuit uh, such as this or uh, a short circuit. Um, and that has to be done in a very active way. It can't just be passive, which I think historically had been the case. You know, an incident happened, you dealt with the problem or someone complained about something, you dealt with it. Actually, the SMS is actively out there looking for unnecessary risk and dealing with it. And when it presents itself or an incident presents itself, we're rapidly trying to learn from it mm -hmm. and make sure it doesn't happen. So, for example, there was an incident last night at Ren Cullen and, uh, you know, thankfully the rider is in good shape, but that's not a, an easy place to crash at <laughs> in any shape or form. Mm -hmm. However, there were things that, uh, caused that crash that are being fed into the rider briefing today within right. 24 hours yeah you know and it's actually joining people up to make sure that those things are captured and we can try and prevent yeah. another he was really lucky to crash at Ren and Cullen and not have serious injury yeah but, so we're trying to learn off the simple cases and of course we're trying to learn off the, the big cases um and that's you know I think people have feared that it would just destroy the, the, the culture of the TT and the spirit of the TT. But I don't think the spirit of the TT was all about unnecessary risk. Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. you know it, it, it was about actually making sure that um, we were doing everything to make sure that, you know, when a rider was out there, he was in the best mental health, the best physical health, the bike was scrutineered. Uh, exquisitely the road surface was in exactly the shape it should have been the mm -hmm. road protective furniture was exactly what it should have been the weather was what it should have been that you know we're uh, and then if events happen well that is what we call the residual risk the residual risk of of, of racing yeah it's not something you can preempt and no. and avoid that's that's no. part and Part and um, parcel of, so the, of the TT. We've been very, very focused on getting us there, and it's you know, it, it, this is a journey, and it will never stop because you're, if you're of the right mind, you know, you're trying. Uh, as the riders get faster and quicker, it, res it presents other problems. So, yeah. it's a never-ending journey. This, and most importantly, it's about the culture of the people in dealing with it, and that's mm -hmm. I think where the TT is trained dramatically. Uh, in terms of its uh, culture, you know, it, it isn't, uh, you know, the twist grip goes both ways, yeah. which, which was a, a, you know, a historic approach to catastrophic events yeah. of the past. Um, so how do you, how do you personally deal with these events? Obviously, you've been doing this for years and years and years. You've seen, like you said, you were at the 7-7 the seven, seven bombings. Mm -hmm. Can you leave this stuff at the, at the roadside once you've done it or do you... 
Um, I, no, I mean, I think there is, um, you know, it's been a particularly difficult year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, genuinely, if it, if, it, if it doesn't affect you, if you don't take it home, there's, there's something wrong with you, to be yeah. honest. You know, it, it's, um, I think the point is that if, if, if you see tragic events, you know, if you dream about it or you ruminate about it and you think about it, those are normal things. It's when it stops you doing your day job, it becomes abnormal and you yeah. might call it PTSD. So, you know, you have to be quite nuanced in in these discussions that you, you know, big events like that, if it doesn't sadden you, 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 you are yeah. bonkers. You well, know, you, 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 you you're, hollow, like you in, you're hollow inside. You and know, empathy and sympathy for, yeah, yeah. for what's going and on. And it, 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 you know, for us, it, it, it operates on on many levels. I think there's, you know, there's a degree of mourning for for, for those that, that may have lost their life and their their loved ones and their pit crew and and uh, the team around them, the the sponsors. And then you know there is um, a, a degree of mourning for the event, you know, because the event is wounded. Yeah, yeah. In that sense. Um, and um you know certainly that's how a lot of us uh, felt um this year that uh, you know it was having tried so hard to create a, a, an event uh, which uh, was safe uh, that a lot of a real quite freakish events happened that um caused a lot of tragedy so mm-hmm. uh, but you know the most important thing is that uh, we learn from those events and and minimize any risks uh, yeah. moving forward but um, so yeah, it is. You know, people um, love all the guys that uh, that come and girls that come to support the racing. Love it because uh, they, they, they're not they're not just volunteering for it. Actually, they're subsidising it because they're all volunteers, but they pay for their accommodation, they pay for their airfare. So yeah. when you see clinicians, they're subsidising the TT in in, in many ways. Um, Basically paying to come to, to yeah, do their job. Paying to come to yeah. do. So they love it, you know, um, uh, uh, dearly. And uh, I think that's what's so unique about the, the, the TT and the Manx Grand Prix, that it's um, it goes a little bit beyond just um, racing, I think. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, certainly we look at it, it, it it's more about the human race and the human species, what it can achieve, what it does achieve. And actually, you know, at the top of it are the riders who have incredible skills, unique skill sets to do what they do. Um, and uh, they have a bravery to do what they do. But actually underneath all of that is this incredible complex web of people trying to support and make that happen. Most of them volunteering, some of them being uh, paid. Um, and it's it's that statement about you know humanity and society that I think the TT is not just a, a spectacular race. That's it. I uh, think there's um, a lot of people that, especially after like you said, the events of this year, they see those events, they and they just see hooligans doing stupid stuff on yeah. motorbikes. But like you said, there's the bike, there's the races at the top, but then there's yeah, yeah. everybody underneath making it what it is. Um, yeah. But on but on top of that, you know. You have to deal with a tragedy. 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 Hmm. That's almost inevitable. But there are also there must be moments when you know you get to a scene, and you do save somebody's life. Oh God! Yeah. I mean, you know, it is. 
That must um, feel special in some way. You know, I could probably uh, um, shout out to Ray Maloney, who's a, a rider that uh, injured himself here a couple of years ago with the most catastrophic injuries where, I mean, just to cut a long story short, he dislocated his head off his neck. Uh, and I'm sure Ray wouldn't mind me sharing that with you. And How? Um, How? Uh, up at uh, Balaf. And he had... I didn't even know that was possible to survive. No, well, it isn't. There are many survivors in the world. Yeah. And this is where I say, actually, the provision of healthcare at these races is unique because Ray was quadriplegic, couldn't move his arms or his legs for months after this, could just move his eyes. And um, he eventually got to a place where he came back to the TT this year, drove himself uh, uh, in his own car to the TT. Um, and, uh, you know, quite uh, quite unique that uh, from an injury that um, in most places is, is fatal, you know, he has, he has survived that and he's back here uh, threatening to marshal uh, next year. <laughs> well, he was threatening to ride until I said, <laughs> you've still got a, a word with him. <laughs> he's a lovely bloke, lovely, lovely Thanks. bloke. But, uh, you know, typifies, I think, the... The, the 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 TT and the, the spirit of people who who do it uh, and their outlook on uh, on life and it probably doesn't make sense to a lot of people outside mm -hmm. of racing but you know I think climbing El Capitan in Yosemite Park a lot of people would look at that and think it's slightly crazy yeah. Um, yeah. or you know going off in a rocket somewhere you can make an argument it's all pretty pointless but actually most of humanity is invested in it. Yeah. Is the bottom line. On, on that note, you're talking about Ray, obviously, um, and his will to, to, to ride again. Um, that's generally across the board with motorcycle races, yeah. as, as you're well aware. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion of that? And do you try uh, and then calm them down and stop, maybe stop them? Because, you know, I've ridden with broken mm. many things, uh, as, as many, 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 many people have. But of course, at the Alaman TT, that's. Right, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a, an interesting point, you know, because I think in certain, you know, some racing fraternities riding with live injuries is the norm, virtually, oh. you know, in some yeah, sectors. Yeah. Um, but the degree of risk uh, at the TT is different, and I think you have to look at it from two points of view. There's the individuals. Uh, risk that they're taking, but actually, we also have to think about other riders and spectators and. Uh, that may uh, be injured through um, an incident. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're very cognizant, uh, and Griff Evans does far more of the medicals than than I do. Um, that f f this is about people's livelihoods, um, and that um, a balanced view has to be taken. In the end. You know, there is a, a rigorous examination that takes place as to whether you're fit to ride a bike and stop yeah, a bike, and able, fit yeah. and able to do it, which has has to uh, uh, to take place. Um, and uh, we're, we're very rigorous with that. And sometimes that might upset um, riders uh, and teams. But actually, like everything in life, just play the long game, come back next year and the year and the year after rather mm. than 
you know, push push the envelope this year to to have an incident where no one comes back from. Um, yeah. So it, it is, um, you know, motorcyclists are unique. I mean, I've gone around the other part of my career around the world talking about, you know, how people can crash and get up with collapsed lungs, rib, multiple rib fractures, even a fractured hip, trying to get back on the bloody bike mm-hmm. <laughs> to finish. So you know, with, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, tell a, I'll tell you a quick story. So, <laughs> I think round one or two uh, on, the, on British Superbikes, I, uh, I was leading the race, crashed, broke my uh, <laughs> left wrist and right foot. Anyway, so following weekend was the next round at Sneston and I thought, right, I can do that. I can, I can get back and do that, cut the cast off, race out, score a few points, and there's four weeks off, so I'll recover in time for the next round. Sweet, job's a dream. So I got out of Snetterton, there was an issue with the bike actually, and I crashed again, turn one. So it took me off medical centre, da 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 I said, right, we're going to have to send you off, to, I had a bang on the head as well, I have to send you off yeah, to yeah. Um, uh, Norwich Hospital, so off I went, da da and I'm in there, and the, the specialist came to me, and he said, "I'm sorry, Mr. Blair, to tell you, you've broken your uh, your left wrist and your right foot." I said, "Yeah, I did that last week, mate." Is there anything else? <laughs> Not very happy. No, I bet he wasn't. I bet he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you so see, you're a hardy bunch. I mean, hey, actually, it's not just me. It's, it's all of it. Oh gosh, you know. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure Michael won't won't mind me saying this. Michael does not like helicopters. Uh, and he's a hard man uh, as it is, and uh, he uh, unless he, you won't get him in a helicopter unless he's unconscious. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, but actually, he you know he it is a difficult place in in medicine because you want to examine people properly when they've just crashed. They're full of adrenaline and endogenous opiates flood the body to get, provide natural pain relief. So people won't feel pain, but you know we've we've still got to sort of deal with people. I remember an incident uh, at Governors where Michael crashed, and uh, um, he was not for going to hospital. That was clear. <laughs> yeah. And on one level, you could say he has capacity to make that decision. On another level, you could say anyone who's racing in the TT doesn't have capacity. Yeah. <laughs> but Absolutely. anyway, we did come to an agreement that we would take him in an ambulance to the grandstand. And then uh, what we had to do was get one of the doctors just to follow him <laughs> around the paddock for uh, half an hour to make sure that he didn't keel over, um, uh, just to keep an eye on him because it's it, uh, it's yeah, difficult. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot a lot riding on it and a lot a mm-hmm. lot at stake. Uh, but you know, still we have to be minded to to look after people if they make the wrong decisions for themselves so uh, yeah I think he was the the only rider that's actually taken an ambulance not to the hospital but to To the the grandstand grandstand. (laughs) special bloke in many ways absolutely (laughs) Steve we're going to finish off with your quick fire questions but before we do just I want to touch on the the future of safety really Mm -hmm. with the TT again we've had the first TT back since uh, since lockdown or or the pandemic um, and we must have learned a lot from from this one. So moving forward, how do you see safety progressing at the TT? Obviously, we're never going to make it. 
Well, uh, you know, sterile. No, it's not. It's never going to be sterile. It will always be a journey, and I'm sure it'll be incremental gains. You know, we we're not in a position to to make sort of air suits mandatory uh, mm-hmm. at the moment, and, and technology is is catching up. So, I think we see a. Uh, 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 it will be um, inevitable evolution that uh, eventually the tech and science will catch up and innovations like that will make it, will be in a place to say that sort of stuff's mandatory um, to, 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 yeah. to race over here. I can understand right now why people might not. So uh, there will be constant innovations uh, such as uh, uh, such as that um, in the future. We will... You know, we're, we're really delving into incidents in a way, you know, if anyone's ro- watched aircraft uh, uh, investigations, crash investigations, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at incidents from top to toe, not just did the bike seize from years ago or, you know, we're looking at my rider um, uh, well-being, health and what have you. I mean, we can't quite do what they do in those we can't dig into people's bank accounts to see if they had financial pressure, <laughs> which, <laughs> which would probably be unhealthy anyway, wouldn't it? Um, but, you know, we are taking a really holistic look at um, uh, any incident that happens yeah. to, 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 to try and um, learn uh, from that. And, you know, I'm sure there will be changes to... Uh, um, to the furniture, uh, the protective furniture around the circuit as we, as we move forward yeah. and, and learn from events. Um, I'm just really pleased that we've got to a place where you know we're, everyone wants to do that, and culturally we're in a good place. Yeah, it definitely seems the case. Steve, over to you, Link. <laughs> right, I've got some quick fire questions. This is really ask all really the guys here. You don't really anything, but it's very simple. You it's can relax. However, I don't need a description for your answer. It's one or the other, please. One or the other, okay, yeah. Beer or wine? Oh, God, wine. Easy. <laughs> You're a very well spoken gentleman. Scone or scone? Scone. You don't break a bone in your body, you break a bone. <laughs> pineapple or never pineapple on a pizza? Never. Two strokes or four strokes? Oh, two strokes. Mike Halewood or Joey Dunlop? Oh, that's cruel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey, I'm afraid. <laughs> hey, don't be afraid. What a legend. <laughs> Road riding or off-road riding? Road riding. London or the Isle of Man? Oh, Got to be the Isle of Man. <laughs> this is my favourite. Morphine or ketamine? <laughs> In there. Ketamine. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> We're agreed on one of them anyway. <laughs> what are you asking for some? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's <laughs> revolutionised. It's revolutionised yeah. pre-hospital yeah. medicine. Big yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're happy about your fractures. 23 times TT winner John McGuinness or five times in a week winner Ian Hutchinson? Oh, John, I think. And the last one, parachute jump or a track day? Oh, track day. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Dog, Would love to. it's <laughs> been an absolute pleasure. And again, an, another podcast where we could have just, oh, okay. we could have been rolling. I'm sure the, the listeners will want more and oh. I'm sure we'll get some more. Hopefully Huge soon. thank, thank you, you no, and pleasure. to your team. Massive team. Thank yeah, well, so, listen, so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for giving us the time. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. This has been the Dr. Gareth Davies episode of the TT Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please hit that subscribe button 
and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you watch it on TT Plus, let us know how good Steve looks. He looks phenomenal, especially today. Because you're gorgeous. Thanks, mate. (laughs) We've plenty more star-studded guests from the world of the TT on their way in this series. And here's a little taste of what you can expect from next week's guest, Ian Locker. So he said there's a guy that goes up the pub tonight, he, he does a bit of racing and I had a chat with him, he said I'll lend you some leathers, but I'll never forget what he said, he said I'll give you the address of the ECU to get your licence, I'll tell you now, he said it's like a bug, you won't get rid of it once you start, and he was correct. Oh yeah. <laughs> so 40 years later, here I am. That episode will be out next week, don't forget, head over to iomttracers.com for your fix of TT news and features. And of course, we're across all the usual socials from Twitter to Instagram, TikTok to Facebook. We are at TT Races Official. Steve, as ever, thank you, mate. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening. Listener.